Well, I would invite you to pray with me one more time as we get into God's Word. Uh, in a, we've been in God's Word all morning, singing it, hearing it read to us, but us camping out on this next passage in Numbers. Uh, please pray for me. Um, after all these years, this is still a weighty, uh, you know, could, could be nerve-wracking task and that the Lord would fill me. Uh, but mainly, uh, pray that this would be a time where God's Word is uh, received well by all of us. So let's pray together. Father, we are thankful to You for uh, reminding us what You're reminding us of, of all these songs that we've sung and the Scriptures that have been read this time of communion, and now we want to take a few moments to uh, learn, be reminded, to be encouraged by Your Word, from Your Word, to glorify You, to glorify you um, and to uh, live lives that match Your exalted Word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the uh, broader church, Church capital C, Christians everywhere, we will from time to time experience the loss of leaders. We will experience the loss of leaders. And sometimes there are leaders that have been really helpful to us, even if we don't know them personally, but they're maybe public figures, they're teaching ministry, and when they pass away, uh, you know, they fought the good fight and we mourn their, their loss and we have the some of their recordings, or we have some of their books on our shelves, but we know that that particular person isn't going to be producing more books right now. I don't know what's going on in the new earth. Uh, I think we're still reading and learning and everything, but that's a different sermon. But right now, it hurts to lose leaders. And sometimes we lose leaders due to moral failures or heresy, and those sting in a different way. And it's that mixed bag of losing leaders in our lives. Leaders are helpful. Leaders that serve us well. Um, When we lose them, it hurts. And then in the local church, sometimes we lose leaders. You know, I I was thinking, how do I introduce a sermon without making it sound like I've been diagnosed with an illness and I'm just not saying it? Um, I mean, in point of fact, it's next in numbers. That's why. (laughs) And we preach through books because we want the books to control the topics rather than me coming up with random topics and then picking passages. That's not a good steady diet. Once in a while, that's good to do. But uh, I believe the best steady diet for a congregation is to take a book the way it was laid out, the way the Holy Spirit laid it out, and take the topics that the Holy Spirit put there. And as I look at this next episode, I think it's about the loss of leaders. um, And I think that's the central thrust there. And we can talk about it when we lose a leader, or we can talk about it when Scripture talks about it so that whatever happens, God forbid something does happen to me or to one of our elders or to one of our deacons. That's too late to prepare our hearts for a loss. You prepare your hearts now so when losses happen, we can grapple with them. But I also think not just specific to CFC and Lucas and our elders and our deacons and our growth group leaders, that matters. But even on the broader church, you, you all have friends that are in other churches where their pastor failed morally or their pastor suddenly passed away or something happened and they're embroiled in heresy or something like that. How do congregations deal and cope with the loss of leaders? And I think this passage helps us do that. Probably not a topic I would have come up with on my own, 
but I'm thankful that the Lord in his wisdom decides what we need to hear, and he uses Numbers chapter 20 to do that. So would you turn with me to Numbers chapter 20, and I pray to the Lord that this isn't some foreboding omen of something that's going to happen to me this week or something like that. I'm like, Lord, I'm just going to preach what you say. But I mean, if you look at this next narrative, okay, I'm going to give you the overview of it, and then we'll, we'll back up, and then we'll drop into uh, some of the details there. But it starts with, and maybe you, your, your Bibles might have the little headings that help with this, but the first verse, they lose Miriam. And then they have this long episode that explains why they lose Moses. And it's a longer section because lose Moses, not that Miriam isn't important, but I mean, talk about a key figure. So they lose Miriam, then they lose Moses, and then they look to help from an old friend and they don't get help and they're discouraged. And right on the heels of that discouragement, they lose Aaron. Loss of a leader, loss of a leader, discouragement, loss of a leader again. And so for Israel, this is a discouraging chapter. And for those of us who ever experience similar things where we lose a leader, we lose another person, people in our lives that are mentors, people that we look up to, maybe their parents, grandparents, it's discouraging. And sometimes you look for help to the next person and oops, <laughs> you know, no help there. So I think that's kind of a rhythm of life that Israel's experiencing that I think relates to church life or relates to our own lives in, in really meaningful ways. So let's start at the top, the, the loss of Miriam. Just one verse. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Next. You know? Well, we don't get a lot on Miriam. We know she was a prophetess. Uh, Moses says as much in Exodus 15. That doesn't mean that she led the entire congregation. Specifically, if you read Exodus 15, she, not unimportantly, led all the women in the congregation in a song of praise, and then it gives us the lyrics of the song. That's an important ministry. It's not unimportant. And it's a big deal when she rebelled with Aaron against Moses. If you remember recently, and then she got the disease, and she had to sit out the camp, and she delayed the entire program. Yeah, she messed up. But it's still important to recognize the loss of, of that leader. She didn't stay messed up. She messed up. She got back in. Uh, and so a brief verse doesn't make it an unimportant verse. It's setting up this scenario where they start experiencing the loss of their leaders, and it starts with Miriam, and then a big chunk on the loss of Moses. How do you lose Moses? He is he's the guy. No one is more humble than Moses. Well, it starts in verse 2. Now, there was no water for the congregation. This is why it's called a wilderness. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. I know. It's, again, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. But even Moses, even Moses has a, a snapping point. And that's the problem. The congregation assembles themselves together against Moses and Aaron. And maybe as you're reading through Numbers, and you're like, why, do the, why does it just keep repeating over and over? Why is it so repetitive with all this rebellion? Maybe to give you a little insight into why Moses drops the ball here. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. 
Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Same complaint, same issues that they are not learning from. Then verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Now you remember, I think this is helpful, if you remember, a lot of times when this conversation happens, God is like, I'm just going to kill them all. And Moses is like, well, don't kill them, because what about your name? What about your glory? And this time God is like, give them water. in a miraculous way, in a way that demonstrates that God is going to do it. Verse 8, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. So far, so good. Now you might remember, oh, this is the time that water came from a rock. This is another time that water came from a rock. And back in Exodus, this happened before. And the instructions were a little bit different then. He told Moses to take the staff and strike the rock. And after striking the rock, water would come out. Here we go again. Same kind of rebellion. The complaint is a little different than the one in Exodus. But he tells Moses to take the staff. He doesn't tell him to speak to the congregation. He tells him to speak to the rock. He doesn't tell him to strike the rock. He just tells him to speak to the rock. Water will come out. That's it. Give the water. Give the congregation the water. Verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them something that God didn't tell them to say. Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, which means quarreling, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. God was upset with the quarreling. He doesn't name the place after Moses' failure, he names a place after the Israelites' failure. The problem is not that the Israelites actually weren't rebels. Moses, you idiot, they're not rebels. How dare you call them rebels when that's not true? No, it is true. I told you to do something different. And so at first glance, you read this and you're like, okay, how is this the loss of Moses? Well, it's the loss of Moses because uh, he explains that because of that failure, He's not going to make it all the way into the land with them. When they finally cross into that land, Moses has to stay behind. So they don't lose him right now. But when they cross that border, they have to leave him behind. And he's telling them now, you just lost Moses. Well, he's telling Moses, the congregation just lost you. But it's not because they weren't quarrelsome. They were quarrelsome. Did Moses have the right to be upset? Sure, he had the right to be upset. But he took the measures into his own hands. And it's easy to think, you know, like, okay, he struck the rock, you know, like, and he spoke truth. He said they're rebels. I mean, it's not like it's untrue. But that, that's why many of us should not be teachers, brothers. You can't control your tongue. You shouldn't be a teacher. 
And this is a weighty moment. He's got the entire congregation before him. He comes out of this tent to represent this is what God says. And man, God did not say that. That's it. God said to do this, and you did something else. He doesn't kill Moses on the spot. He doesn't swallow up his whole family in the earth. But there's a consequence to it. Moses still gets to go down as the greatest leader of, of the Old Testament. And in many ways, the greatest prefiguring of of Jesus Christ himself, but he doesn't get to go all the way. The congregation loses him. Why? Because he didn't handle his anger in this moment well. If you read Psalm uh, 106, the psalmist tells us there that Moses spoke rashly because he was angry and embittered. So even the psalmist is telling us, yeah, that's, you're reading it correctly. Moses, in his anger and in his bitterness, which you can kind of understand by the time you get to Numbers 20, you know, we're like thousands of years removed and we're angered a little bit. Like, oh my goodness, can I just skip past this? Cycle of rebellion and stiff-neckedness. And I think Moses wanted God to say, I'm going to send, instead of snakes this time, I'm going to send vampire bats, and they're going to bite them in the neck, and then they all have to look at a golden bat, or something like that, something like the bronze serpent, or a disease, or some punishment, or maybe the leaders of this rebellion, they get swallowed up, something, and this time it's nothing. Give them the water, that's it. And in Moses' anger, he didn't think that was enough. They needed a verbal spank, and then to accentuate it, he strikes the rock twice, bow, bow, is that what we have to do? Bring water out of this rock, you rebels. It's out of the anger. And he lost his cool in a moment, and in that moment he got a big consequence. And then the congregation loses their top leader. And if you pay attention to what God says, yes, the psalmist tells us what lay behind it was this anger and this bitterness, but what was lying behind that? Lack of faith. And that's the irony. He rebukes the congregation for a lack of faith. You're always not believing that God is going to give you water. You're always disbelieving that God is going to give you food. You're constantly disbelieving that God is going to get you into the land and then conquer the people that you're supposed to conquer. You're constantly disbelieving. Guess what, Moses? In that moment, you're disbelieving that what God told you to do is what Israel needs right now. You didn't like God's prescription, and you gave it a little extra. I need to put this into turbo mode because God doesn't quite get how... No, God gets it. Speak to the rock, let the rock feed them. So a couple things that aren't the central thrust of the entire passage, but I think it's helpful for us to understand is that oftentimes our failures and our disobediences, whether we're leaders or not, it stems from a lack of faith. We get antsy when we're not seeing it happen the way we think it should be happening, and we start taking things into our own hands. And consistently throughout the Bible, we see disobedience resulting from that, a lack of faith, and that's really what's happening here. How do we know? Not the psalmist. God said it himself. Because you did not believe in me. He didn't say because you didn't take an accurate transcript of what I told you to say and only say that. Yeah, that's on the surface level. That is what happened. Well, why didn't Moses do that? The underneath root cause is he didn't believe that what God prescribed for this occasion was enough. And so we will do well 
to do what God says to do, do it how he says to do it. Some areas are gray areas, and we can talk about that, but some things the Bible puts in front of us black and white, and we need to stick to that. And leaders lose their position when they start messing with the black and white stuff. When they start fudging it, calling things gray when it's not gray. Why? Because I think this is going to produce better results. Stop thinking you can produce better results and let God do what he's supposed to do. That's how leaders derail. But the second thing I think is really important to understand is God still gives them water from the rock. Isn't that awesome? He calls them rebellious people. Moses didn't do it right. He's not supposed to strike the rock. He's not supposed to speak to the congregation. But what was the result? They still got water from the rock. And I think it's amazing that some of us have experienced some pretty trashy leaders in our lives. But you can think back and you're like, not all of those Bible studies were wrong, though. I did experience spiritual growth, not because that leader was hot stuff. But in those moments, maybe even accidentally, as they say, a broken clock is right twice a day. They had the word of God in front of them and explained it to me. And as that happened, I did grow, even though maybe that leader failed in a major way or maybe in a small way or maybe the leader, whatever happened. God demonstrates he doesn't need the leaders to be perfect to feed his flock. If you remember in, uh, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he refers back to this passage. We talked about it in the first sermon in this number series. That actually, you know, Paul says, Christ was the rock. What do you mean Christ was the rock? He transmogrified into a stone, you know? No, Christ was the rock. He, Christ was the cloud. Christ was the pillar of fire. Christ was the quail. Christ was manna, right? He's the bread from heaven. Uh, John 7, I, I got Jesus provides rivers of living water. He, he is how God provides for his people. He always was. And he always is and always will be. And Christ's shepherding of his people won't be derailed by failed under-shepherds. God keeps it going because it's his flock, not mine. You are his flock, not my flock. And what I do and what the elders do and the deacons do and the growth group leaders and ministry team leaders and all that, what we're doing is serving you as people underneath this headship of Christ. And so leaders can come and go. Does it hurt? Yes. Does it mean leaders don't matter? No. Leadership is God's idea. He, he just proved, Aaron is my man. Whose staff is going to bud? Aaron's staff buds. Not because Aaron is perfect, but because I chose him. And then in the next episode, but I don't need him. <laughs> and so we can go to one extreme where we go like, ah, leaders, forget leaders. Let's all just be independent ourselves. We don't even have to gather. Forget it. Well, that's unbiblical. But we also don't want to be, we can hurt and we can mourn, but we don't want to be so shattered by failed leaders or missing leaders or whatever the case might be that we lose sight of who really is the leader, capital L, who has many under-shepherds, many servants, and his plan isn't derailed when he loses a human leader. We get this little interruption, and we won't read the whole thing, but verses 14 to 21, they want to continue their progress toward the land that's the whole goal that's the whole point of this whole thing they lost Miriam they're probably saddened by this uh the fact that they're going to lose Moses Moses is at least going to get them to the border but they've got to cross through Edom first and if you remember Edom is Esau's people these are literally the brothers of Israel and they're like hey let us through 
We won't drink anything. We won't eat anything. We won't stay in any of your hotels. We won't consume any of your food. We won't do anything to, you won't even be able to tell we were here. We just want to cross through with our heads down and get through and that's it. No, if you come and do that, we will kill you. So there's a disappointment. If there's any nation out there that would remember, we have a similar beginning, and our forefathers, are, they're twins, man. And remember, they made up. Esau didn't kill Jacob when he had the chance. There was this, you know, reconciliation. So just let us through. We won't, we won't take it. We're not asking you for anything, any support or anything. We just drank this rock water, and it's, it's going to get us through for a while. <laughs> no, we will kill you. And I think that's inserted here because it's like, while they're losing leaders... If there's ever a time where you feel like you need strong, great leadership, it's now. So I, I think it's inserted there as a, as a, at least for one reason, it would be because they're experiencing this journey that has hardships, that uh, they're reminded that, hey, the Egyptians dealt harshly with us. You know the story, man, let us through. And people that should understand, they don't understand, and they block them. And then the death of Aaron, starting in verse 22. And they journeyed from Kadesh, and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came to Mount Hor. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom. When I was reading this, I, I mean, I don't literally usually underline my Bible, and in my mind I underlined it. Nothing against it. Highlight away. But that jumped out at me. Right there at the border of Edom. Right when they were discouraged. They just got turned down by Edom, and then now they lose Aaron. So it's like the narrative has this sort of fast-paced, like, bang, Miriam, bang, Moses. Edom doesn't want them to cross, and then right on the heels of that, they lose Aaron. For the same reason, they lost Moses. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Hor, on the border of the land of Edom, verse 24, let Aaron be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land that I have given to the people of Israel because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Like, wait a minute, I thought Moses was the one that messed up. Well, pay attention, verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly to do this thing. And then verse 12, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me. See, it wasn't just Moses. Aaron was in on it. It wasn't like Moses went off the rails and, and then Aaron stepped aside like, whoa, lightning is about to strike. No, he's like, yeah. Yeah, what he said. Can I strike the rock a couple times? Moses is like, no, nah, twice is enough. He's like, all right, cool. You rebels, they're in on it together. And because of that, Aaron is not going to make it. Now, God doesn't say he's cut off from his people. He's not going to, you know, receive Aaron. No, Aaron will go to his fathers. He's still in the covenant. But there's real-life consequences to that rebellion. And, of course, churches need to decide. When is a pastor's failure a kind of disqualification that keeps them permanently out? And when is it a disqualification that just needs a time and a season of repentance? And I don't think the Bible prescribes exactly all of those scenarios, but I think we get enough wisdom where we can discern the difference between those. But there are scenarios where sometimes, look, somebody is not going to be a leader anymore. That doesn't mean they're not saved. It just means they're not going to be in leadership. And that's true throughout the Old Testament as well as today. And so we see this passing on, verse 26, or uh, starting in verse 25. Take Aaron and Eliezer, his son. He had two older sons than Eliezer, but they got killed because of their disobedience. 
a high-handed disobedience. But Eliezer's next, and so far, a good track record for Eliezer. Strip Aaron of his garment. I'm sorry, verse 25. Take Aaron and Eliezer, his son, and bring them up to Mount Or. And then verse 26. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. And Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded. And they went up Mount Or in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eliezer, his son. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eliezer came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron had perished, all the house of Israel wept for Aaron 30 days. Uh, it's at least encouraging to me that a congregation can witness the personal failures of a, of a leader. It didn't, it didn't take away the fact that they cared for him in a real way. I mean, Aaron created the golden calf. <laughs> He's like, ah, give me all your earrings. And then he made this cheap excuse. Ah, oh, it popped out of the fire. I don't know. Aaron, you're such an idiot. To think that Moses is going to believe that this calf popped out of the fire. Come on, man. You sat there and crafted it. Not a perfect track record. He was at Miriam's side when they rebelled against Moses. He was at Moses' side when he rebelled against the Lord. Yeah, not the best. But the Lord still allows this ceremony where he passes on his mantle to Eliezer and this sort of beautiful setting. I mean, if you had any way to go, wouldn't it be cool for the congregation to wait at the base of a mountain while your leader, your pastor, your mentor, your, your literal brother maybe walks up that mountain with you and whoever, however the Lord does it, Aaron perishes on a mountaintop just between him and the Lord and then Moses comes back down, the congregation sees him missing, and they weep. It's a beautiful scene. But they lost their leader. Now here's, here's the point. They lose Miriam. They lose Moses. They get this interruption of this like brother that won't help. This other nation that should at least let them through, doesn't help them through. Disappointment. Lose another leader. And then look at the next paragraph right at the top of chapter 21, and this is where we'll end, because I think this is, this is where the whole text is going. Now they gain success. Loss of a leader, loss of a leader, big disappointment, loss of a leader, victory. It says, when the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. It's like, oh, another disappointment. Well, yes, but listen how they responded. Verse 2, And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Horma, which means destruction. What we see in this paragraph is Israel experiencing a victory even though they had all these losses. And why do they experience that victory? Because they depended on the Lord for it. Right? They got attacked. They suffered losses. Some of our people got, became captive. We've got some POWs over there now. And they took it to the Lord. God, if you will do it. We lost these leaders, but you're ultimately in charge. If you give us victory here, we will do what you asked us to do. And we will devote the conquering of these people to you as you've told us to do. And then God does it. God does it. He doesn't need Aaron. He doesn't need Miriam. And he doesn't need Moses. 
Now, those were his ideas, and leadership is still important, but not so important that God's ultimate plan is derailed. And so we can mourn the loss of our leaders, especially the good ones, when we lose them. And even in the broader church, when we have people that we respect and learn from, and we, it, it, it smarts a little bit when we lose those people, but we need to recognize that God's uh, victories for his church and the expansion of his kingdom and the forward progress of his gospel in this world won't be uh, ruined or set back because of failed leaders or missing leaders or leaders that have passed away, whatever the category is. And I want you to understand, this is a little bit, uh, maybe takes an instinct if you're reading through numbers, but these travel narratives that they're called, these, these big blocks of story, they usually start with some kind of victory and then ends in a tragedy. This is the first narrative that starts with tragedies and then ends in a victory. And as we press through, we're going to see more disappointments and things, but we see that God ultimately does what he set out to do when the people depend on him. And a lot of the struggle up until this chapter is struggle with human leadership. I don't like Moses' leadership, and that's when they grab Aaron or they grab Miriam or they grab Korah or they grab somebody else. We want this person to be our leader. They liked human leaders. They just didn't like these human leaders when they were doing what God wanted them to do. And then now you've got a congregation that's like, okay, we want to do what God tells you to do. Great. I get it. Aaron is your guy. Great. Well, guess what? Now you don't have Aaron. (laughs) They're finally willing to follow these leaders, and then they lose the leader. Because God wants them to not be focused on human leaders in an unhealthy way. Okay, I get it. You want to follow me now, but remember, you're not following Moses or Miriam or Aaron. You're following me. I'm the one that grants victory. And so as we think about this passage and how it connects with our lives, um, I'm thankful that right now I don't have, that I know of, <laughs> some debilitating disease uh, that will you know, take me out, out of ministry. Um, but I think on the broader scale, and even within our church, as we think about leaders, we want to appreciate them. We want to encourage them to stay the course. We want to encourage our leaders here to speak truth, do what's right, not for some ulterior motive, but because it's what's right. Even if it looks like if we do this, oh, that might hurt our attendance. Oh, that might not be the best. Yeah, but this is biblical. This is scriptural, right? It's not that gray. I mean, this is something we need to really focus on. We want to encourage our leaders to be like that because that's when leaders operate the best. And whenever we lose leaders, when it, to whatever reason, whether it be death or, God forbid, moral failure or whatever, it can hurt, and we can mourn it, and we can even weep over it. But we need to remember victories are wrought by God's strength, and he will lead his church. Christ is the head, and he's an effective leader. And we can trust that whatever happens with us on the human level God is in charge. Don't be disheartened by loss of leaders. And don't be tempted to leave church, stop attending, get disconnected, hate organized religion. God organized it. And if leaders have to leave, then he puts in new leaders. It hurts, it's hard, but Jesus Christ will do it. As the worship team comes up, I want to pray and then ask you to stand to sing with us.